Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the Last Lap Podcast, the only F1 podcast doing 88 miles per hour in a clapped out DeLorean. <laughs> References. I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my faithful colleague, Sean Gray. Hello, feeling better this week. Yes. <laughs> won't, be, won't be coughing and splattering every two minutes. <laughs> yes. Did anybody actually wish, wish you, you know, nope. get well? Nobody. No, nope. nobody, nobody loves me. What a bunch of bu- <laughs> 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 Well... Glad that you're back with us in the land of the living this week. Um, And if you, like Sean, managed to uh, survive long enough to watch the Russian Grand Prix, well, uh, I guess it proved us a little bit wrong compared to our slightly dire predictions. Certainly uh, better than the year before. Well, (laughs) this is true. Anything could have happened before. Paint drying would have been better than the year before. The standards were pretty low, you know. Targets were pretty pretty achievable. (laughs) Yeah. It was a good one. It genuinely was quite a good one. I enjoyed it. I had lots of things going on that that I, that that uh, kept my interest for for most of the race, actually, which is more than can be said for some this season. You know, some there's been a few periods where it could be dozing off in the middle and nothing much is happening, waiting for everybody to to kind of pull the trigger on their strategy. But this this was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I must admit, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Um... It managed to to fit a reasonable amount in for what's a fairly flat, slightly featureless track. Uh, so this was, it was it was good that we had some bits and pieces in it. Although uh, I'm sure a few of the drivers uh, feeling the bumps and bruises the next day might have disagreed and asked <laughs> for a, a bit more of a, a calm and, and genteel race like the year before. And I guess all that action started within the first corner corner really with um, Nico Hulkenberg deciding that. Um, he wasn't having it, having any of this turning right crap. He was <laughs> he was going to turn right some more and then see what was happening in the opposite direction to the way he was driving, um, causing him to uh, clatter Max Verstappen in the Toro Rosso, um, and then neatly parallel park himself with Felipe Nazar in the uh, Sauber. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't uh, Hulkenberg's finest hour. <laughs> uh, when we said that when he drove into the side of Felipe Massa coming out of the pit lane a few weeks ago, and uh, yeah, he's not he's not covering himself in glory here either, has he? <laughs> no, um, maybe the, uh, the the speed of Formula One is passing him by now. He's done twenty four hours in one car. That's it. You know, he's uh, he's used to the enduring stuff. He's, he's... <laughs> I'm not. I can't be bothered with this fifty six <laughs> lap crap. I'm I'm going back home. Weep. Um, so yeah, uh, safety car right away, wasn't it? Uh, it was first lap. Uh, Rosberg on pole got away, got away okay, didn't he? Kept uh, yeah, kept Lewis behind kept him. The lead that lasted uh, all of what seven laps, yes. <laughs> six laps. Poor, poor Nico. Uh, what, what can you say? Uh, well, one thing yeah, about the safety yeah. car was the um, was Kimmy nearly crashing into the back of Lewis. Oh, that's right. Of course, the safety <laughs> car comes out and. They have to slam on the brakes yeah, and give me use a little bit. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe try I don't know, looking in his mirrors or something. I don't know. It just just caught himself in time. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, what's that DNF at Monza for for Nico? And then as soon as the safety car comes in here, was it was it no power? Was it engine? Uh, it was stuck open throttle, but not. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. It, it, well, so it, not stuck, stuck open, but it was. Um, it wasn't. Was it not? It wasn't depressing necessarily all the way in when he pushed the the pedal. I think something like that, so that when. Um, when he was coming off the power and going on to the brakes, there'd still be power going into the engine. And Brundle put something on the commentary, which I hadn't had any idea about, that um, the brakes on a Formula One car won't stop the wheels turning if you've put any power into the engine because the torque is so incredible. The the brakes only work if your foot is off of the accelerator. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was just like... Wow, that's kind of that's really quite scary, isn't it? To think that you know, not only <laughs> if my throttle sticks open, am I going to be going faster than the speed of light? You can't even press the brake pedal. <laughs> the brakes are going to do sod all for me as well. <laughs> Brilliant, eh? <laughs> yes, there's a design flaw, isn't it? Really. Um, so uh, yeah, the world championship was pretty much over on lap seven of the Russian Grand Prix. Rather sad, unfortunately. <laughs> it does yeah, does too many. Feel that's the case. Whilst Lewis has undoubtedly been the the better man for this for the whole season, uh, yeah, DNFs have ultimately cost Nico any chance of extending the title. To I mean, what is it mathematically still possible? But you know, There's, Lewis, well, needs to, Lewis needs to come about eighth or something to seal the victory. So yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, He's like, this. it's as good as so far, isn't it? So there's potentially seventy five. Is it seventy five points left? Yeah, and Lewis is what 70 points ahead or something ridiculous now so i mean if you take monza and you take uh um russia and nico even if he comes second to lewis or whatever on those two days he's still losing 30 odd points probably uh and so even if he managed to to finish on those two well so it's still pretty unattainable that he would win the world championship at least it was still go down to the last couple of couple of races but we've been robbed of that through through mechanical problems which is a bit rubbish for for us watching it i mean we all know lewis is going to win the world championship but it would have been nice to have had you know a little bit of intrigue towards the end as it is the constructors is already wrapped up in russia lewis will have the world title one in the states and and that'll be that uh yes i think it's um it's a bit of a throwback to the the bad old days of Michael Schumacher dominance, where everything was sort of all done and dusted halfway through a season. I don't know this isn't halfway through a season, but it's quite a long way from the end, given how many points they have now on offer technically per race. Mm-hmm. To still have sort of wrapped it up um, at this stage is a bit. Um, it's going to be a little bit embarrassing. You kind of would have thought, wouldn't you, that. Um, um, with how many how many races on the calendar now? 20? 21, 20? I'm not even sure. 21. And then there's still, you know, with four Grand Prix left to go, is done, basically. I know mathematically no, but it is. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves nine, here. Nine, 19, 19 there is this year. 19, okay. So, well, you, you know... We, when you get into this this point and you know it's the 15th race and there's four still to go uh, the constructors is wrapped up and the um drivers championship 
he's as good as wrapped up. Well, I mean, know. that's that's twenty five percent of the season, you know. Yeah, four, four into nineteen, or whatever. You know, pretty much, maybe not twenty percent. Twenty percent of the season is uh, effectively meaningless. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's got to suck a little bit for Mexico, isn't it? Who probably hoped that being third from the end might make them feature slightly heavily in the yeah. title picture and to turn up what will probably effectively be one of three completely meaningless races because we've probably got to assume that Lewis is going to do enough in the um, this weekend to <laughs> to clinch it. I mean, unless he, unless he DNFs, I think, yeah, it's, it's as good as guaranteed. He leaves with the world title. But he can and, he can he can basically DNF three the next three races and and yeah. still go into the last still race ahead. Lead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just like at that point you'd just be like I just can't be bothered with this. this Might as well just not turn up. I eh? just put <laughs> I don't know who who's the third driver. We'll get Pascal Verlin in and say there you go, lads. <laughs> Have a wee shot of that. <laughs> I wonder if they'd do that. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine that? In a way, that that would be the the sensible thing for Mercedes to do, wouldn't it? Would be to give the kid th- three full Formula One races to you know, but like, let you know, him have a go. But it's like the worst kind of sporting stuff, isn't it? It's you know, ah, oh, well we've scored ten goals, so what we're going to do is we're going to sub all of our strikers and put on our reserve goalie up front and <laughs> see what happens. Do you know what I mean? Because nothing nothing bad's gonna happen Lewis, Lewis would never agree to it anyway he wants to break all the records doesn't he, he wants, no probably he, want, he wants most polls most victories you know he's never gonna never gonna agree to something like that unfortunately for us watching the Russia Grand Prix uh, <laughs> the race was about as sewn up as Lewis's title victory when Lewis <laughs> when, Lewis, uh, when sorry, Nico uh, parked it on uh, lap 7 uh Good, great, really enjoyable race behind, uh, for, for all the way down through the points. But the uh, the top step on the podium was as good as done there and then, wasn't it? Well, well, but it was. It was absolutely. <laughs> there was never a point after that where we pretty much saw the Mercedes on television until he passed the <laughs> thing. It's like. It's... What was the point in that? I can't help but feel Patronus aren't really getting money for their their sponsorship (laughs) deal at the moment, are they? But that's the way it goes, eh? Well, I mean, Red Bull was a bit like that, I guess, when when Seb was winning everything. Yeah. You go out front, it's inevitable. You're going to get seen less. I mean, the poor little Marussia guys are probably on TV more than anybody. (laughs) Well, they do seem to be be on television a little bit more than than Mercedes, because at least... They're the mobile chicane that everybody has to get around, so they pop exactly. up on screen fairly often. Then again, you'd be wanting to advertise with them, wouldn't you? But <laughs> so yeah, so Lewis uh, cruises into the lead and into first place essentially. Um, there's quite a few scraps going on behind. It was the Red Bulls were both up in there, weren't they? Kvyat and uh, Ricardo were both up there with the Ferraris and the uh, and Bottas, but not Massa. Massa was further down, wasn't he? At that point, I think. Um, so at the restart it was very close I mean it was quite close for a few more laps um, and then on lap 12 wow that looked well uh, it, it must have been a, a hard crash for it Roman was, Grosjean cause... It, was, it, was a, it was a peach it was a real big shunt uh, well, he was able to get himself out of the car though which was the you know he ended up he, I think just shaking more than anything else, which you know, if you add into uh, 
was it Carlos Sainz's uh, shunt in Suzuka? Was it yeah? In in qualifying, uh, the two, the, those two shunts uh, just goes to show the safety car, uh, the safeties of Formula One cars. Eh? I mean, it's just massive, massive shunts, and both men were able to walk away unhurt. So that that's obviously the main thing. But wow, yeah, big one. And it was definitely uh, a fairly large AA repair bill for uh, <laughs> bringing what was left of that Lotus um, back to the pits. You, you don't see it very often, those kind of crashes, really, do you, where the, the car goes in an, an angle that means that it gets flipped around by the barrier. They, they tend to be com- either completely side-on or front or rear ends. So um, I, I, that was the bit that kind of, you know, maybe sort of wince was the... Um, when they spent they showed the the replay of him going in, and the first hit didn't look like that hard, but then as soon as the car whipped around and you saw his head just sort of bouncing off the inside of the uh, the cockpit, the head um, restraint stuff, it was just like, oh Jesus Christ! I bet that rang his bell. I, I was I must admit I was quite surprised to see him um, walk away f- from that crash. Yeah, I mean. I, I... I agree. To be honest, I was you'd expect the uh, the medical car and stuff to come out at that point, but he just he just popped out, didn't he? <laughs> he took his hands free thing off and just uh, out he came. Uh, what can you say? Uh, fair play to the guys who have made the sport as uh, over the last twenty years. There's the you know the crash testing and the safety. That goes into these cars is just phenomenal. It's a maybe maybe for Carlos Sainz it's a bit of a shame that they uh, uh, didn't do quite the same thing for the uh, the, the barrier testing. And uh, you know was it the, the particular Negrosian uh, Negrosian incident? He just he just dropped up coming into the into the corner and he just got a little bit out of shape on the rear and that was all it took and it was. Straight into the scene of the accident, didn't you know? It's not very often you see shunts like that these days, where they they just usually they're able to correct the car, you know. But it's just a tiny little movement with the rear, and he was off. Was it the marble? I think on the marbles on the outside. Yeah, so. it was a, um, a a twitch that he corrected, but by the time he'd corrected it, the the back of the car was already going through um, through the marbles and. Uh, yeah, we don't talk about the marbles very often these days at all, really, do we? Um, it's we know that they're. Um, sorry, mate, that was quite a bad buzz. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying, <coughs> trying to fix. Is it still there? Uh, no, I think it's gone. Sorry, I no, turned the volume down and stuff a wee bit. So we'll see ah, okay, cool. See if uh, that helps. Okay, let me retry this. Um, yeah, marbles. Yeah. We don't talk about the marbles very much anymore um, because we just don't seem to see people making overtakes on them very much. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's the same. That with the harder compounds, maybe there is slightly less of them, so they're not quite as visible offline as they, they used to be where you used to have that huge black swathe of um, discarded rubber on the outside of it every uh, every corner. Um, and like you go through Monaco and there was a definite line you had to take and everything else was just was perilous and you know maybe i don't know i assume drivers don't forget that that kind of stuff do they they must keep in mind that the outside of the track is but i mean it wasn't his fault in this one as it wasn't anything he could have done about it 
But that was when was that that was when Perez pitted, wasn't it? He pitted for tyres then, but the front runner stayed out. Yeah, uh, I think both both the Ferraris uh, and obviously Lewis, I think, stayed out. Uh, Bottas Bot- as, well. as well, yeah. So Perez and someone else came in. Was it Kvyat? Uh, yes, I think so. To be honest, I can't, I can't actually remember. Well, maybe it was Massa. No, it was <laughs> was it Massa? Did Massa come in because he was complaining that his tyres were going off, and Bottas said his, he thought his were okay. I think that's what happened. I think that's it. Well, they probably both did. If I'm completely honest. Um, looking at the results so let's just say they both did uh, <laughs> but yeah um, Perez was obviously the main one you know he was it, the one that, that catapulted himself into the mix more than more than anybody else he was the one that not for the first time has tried something a little bit different and been rewarded uh, seems to have developed a bit of a reputation for being able to do that did it in his sober days plenty and he's done it now a couple of times in the Force India uh, which is it was it was good for me. I, I certainly enjoyed that aspect of the race because, you know, it was like right up until the very last lap, there was a will will they or won't they sort of aspect of the races. So even though the even though the the, the lead of the race is gone, Lewis is is, is sewn it up. You still had a sort of you know, there was a bit of tension until the final lap. You know, is, is Perez going to be able to hang on? And obviously in the end, it looked like he wasn't going to hang on. And then <laughs> lo and behold. Kimi Raikkonen does what Kimi Raikkonen did, and and Perez in the end did end up hanging on. So that for me was an enjoyable point of the race. That at least it gave something all the way to the end. Whereas often yeah. too too often in in twenty fifteen and and other years, I suppose as well, you're you know you know the final ten mm. ten laps from the end. You know it's all kind of just like everybody's made their pit stops and everybody's a couple of seconds gap to everybody. And it doesn't really look like anything was happening, but here you had two contrasting extremes, and which one was going to hold? Which either was it was like cat and mouse was was the mouse going to hang on or was the cat going to get it? And all the way to the line, so that was good for me. I really I really enjoyed, it. and I was rooting for Perez the whole way because I, I like to see the the guy who goes, you know what, I am going to do forty five laps on a one compound. I love to see them hang on. Uh, I think it's all, I think it's great. So I'm happy. I'm delighted that Perez managed to get the podium, albeit in uh, slightly controversial circumstances, shall we say? Um, well, the interesting th- one of the interesting things is that in the intervening time was that uh, Bottas pitted first. Uh, whilst being ahead of um, Vettel, um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And but Vettel managed to Vettel managed to get out of the pits ahead of him, so managed yeah. to do quicker laps on older tyres than um, Bottas was able to do uh, coming out of the pits on fresh rubber, which is interesting in itself. Um, so whether that hints towards Ferrari's ability to look after their tyres a bit better than. Maybe the Williams or not, but um... assumably Vettel would have still been on the the softer compound at that point. Bottas has gone in, put on the harder compound for his second stint. So basically, what you're kind of saying there then is that a used set of mediums or or softs, or whatever the compound, but a used set of the softer compound was able to still, uh, you know, compete with the the brand new harder compound at this yeah. partic- at this particular circuit, and probably the Ferrari is marginally quicker anyway, 
not not by much, but probably just a little bit. Uh, that yeah, but that was interesting that Vettel was able to stay out. And normally we're so used to the undercut being being king, uh, and in this case it, it wasn't. And and I think the good thing about Vettel is when he did pit, not only did he get in front of of Bottas, he was able to get out in clean air, and he was just that was him now. Then for the pretty much the rest of the race, he was able. He was never going to catch Lewis, but he was able to just drive his race and. He had never had any threat from from behind, uh, because Bottas came out behind the guys that had stopped earlier, and had to and had to go through them, whereas Vettel cleared all of that and was able to just you know do his times and, and manage his race to the end. Um, to me, that's where I lost a little bit of the inform- the uh, impetus of the race. I, f- I found myself skipping ahead a little bit. There were a few on on track battles, but it didn't quite capture my um, sort of attention really at that point. Um, we lost Carlos Sainz to a brake failure, um, a fairly spectacular one really. It seemed like the whole thing just completely collapsed in on itself. Um, and the a object... shame for him after his trials and well, tribulations that yeah. managed to get into the Back race, the and, then... and yeah, uh, and then that happens. Uh, and then Ricardo, who was sort of up and there mixing it with the. Ferraris and uh, Williams. Uh, I think that was an engine one, doesn't he? His engine went funny, um, so he had to pull over and uh, leave the car. Uh, and then that took us pretty much to the penultimate lap, really. Um, Bottas and Kimi had been hunting down Perez for lap after lap. Uh, got right up behind him. Um, Bottas takes a a decent dive up the uh, inside of one of the right-handers, um, which pushes Perez a little wide and um, stops him getting onto the accelerator quickly. So Kimi pops through um, in the gap that's left. And then that sets up four. <laughs> well. Probably one of the worst moves I've seen. Yes. Definitely this season. It was really poor, wasn't it? Oh, it was bad. <laughs> Pastor Maldonado would have been proud. <laughs> it was a bit of a Grosjean of three seasons ago. Do you know what I mean? Where where he kept on seeming to just decide he was going to go for a move that was never ever going to. Nah, just pay wasn't off. there, was it? It's like he thought I'd rather come <laughs> DNF than fifth or whatever it was at the time fourth. You know, it was literally all or nothing you'd think he would have it was like he had to make that move to win the world championship or something eh? it was he was well back and you know it was just never on uh did you catch Bottas's radio uh comment (laughs) yes (laughs) I did absolutely hilarious what the fuck was that (laughs) it was absolutely it was so deadpan as well he was just like what is that (laughs) it was so funny but yeah, two fins as well, you know. There'll be some, I imagine, some uh, interesting Finnish swear words exchanged between the two, perhaps, after the race. But, uh, I mean, 150,000% Kimi Raikkonen's fault. And the ironic thing was he still managed to complete the race. And poor Bottas is in the barriers. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's... Um, uh, Raikkonen uh, trundled round for a lap with, like, his front wing hanging off or something. He's... <laughs> It was, it's one of those ones where, I mean, in the end, um, Raikkonen got a 30 second penalty, which I think dropped him down one place. Um, no, it dropped him down more than that. Was it more than? Yeah, yeah it dropped him down uh, three places. 
Oh, yeah, was it really? I didn't. Yeah, think. Reckon I thought he'd was... already lost all of those places already. So. Nah, I think he was classified uh, fifth, and then uh, that put him eighth. So it cost him, I don't know, whatever many points that is about eight points, nine, ten, eight to ten points in in the world championship or something. But he still got uh, eighth place in points, which is more than Bottas got. Uh, well, yeah, and that—that's I was going to say is kind of the problem with some of the rules like that. Um, when a you know a car takes another car out and then manages to go on and either score some points or even sometimes lots of points, um, the guy who's like... been yeah the guy who's been taken out gets nothing. There should be a it's impossible to implement, but there should be a way to give Bottas some points there, you know. But that's how how do you go about doing that? You know, then the day Bottas DNF'd, so you can't give him points. I don't know. You got any solutions? Uh, well, there isn't really. Um, it's uh... just give all the reckonings points to Bottas. Well, that's the only thing you could do. But then, at which point, if you get caught in any kind of incident like that, then you yeah, oh, it would you cause chaos. The car so... and go. Oh well, never mind then. It would um... cause chaos, of course. But it just you know, is it one of those little quirks of Formula One that we just have to kind of accept? Well, it's either that or you disqualify the driver from the points. Um, so you yeah. say he gets no points. No, some, he gets, the constructors' points go because uh, uh, you know are fine because well at the end of the day if you if they crashed a car and it was able to limp over the line and score some points I guess the constructor should get a small kind of reward really for burning a, a car that was po- possible to take that punishment. But yeah, I, I don't I, I see it often that there are things that I think that would be a better deterrent to say okay you you know you you don't get these points then do you know what I mean you raced all this way for nothing and because you can you know be a bit more careful about what you were doing you get no points imagine that um 30 second time penalty would often be no points you know depending on the situation but, but then that that kind of to me then suggests that um the the punishment isn't necessarily fitting of the crime is it to um because Bottas was on for third and Raikkonen mm-hmm. would have been on for fourth. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he ends up eighth and Bottas ends up nothing. There's no, you know... Um... I suppose if, you're, if you give a 30-second time penalty, if there's a gap of 30 seconds to the guy behind you... You've lost nothing. You could have, you could take the risk, take <laughs> the guy out, and, and know that you're, you're not going to get... You know, you're still going to get where you currently are kind of thing. So I do see what you're saying from that. A disqualification. I don't know. I feel like 30 seconds is too lenient, but disqualification might be too harsh. It's a difficult one. Um, gun to my head, I'd probably say that it, what Reckoning got was probably about right in terms of punishment, but I don't know. Yeah. 30-second time penalty is, is fairly substantial. Jury's out, I think. I'm sort of, sort of thinking as I go here, but yeah, I'm not not 100%. Just... <laughs> uh, fair enough, then. But, Pere- but delighted for Perez is almost all I'm going to say. I was absolutely chuffed to bits to see Perez get third. Uh, really, really pleased. Um, so... Um, Massa, Massa was fourth. Massa, uh, Massa ends up fourth. Uh, unlikely, I think, at the... The start of the day, but that's that's fine. Um, uh, was uh, Kvyat next? Yeah, Ben Kvyat in uh, in fifth. Obviously, uh, 
massively benefiting from Bottas DNFing and Kimi's penalty would have only been seventh without that, so that puts him up to extra places. Decent points for the Red Bull. Solid, unspectacular. Can't really remember an awful lot of Danny Kvyat's race, truthfully. No. Um, I think he, feel- he was fairly up at one point and then uh, either strategy or whether put him down or hit. He might have had a bad pit stop, actually, or something like that, because he was going well and people were saying, oh, won't it be nice for Danny to do well in his... Um, uh, in I his think, home Grand Prix, and then I think he tried the contrary strategy with Perez, but then pitted again later, possibly. Oh, maybe that might have been it. That might have been. Uh, it. So he was up there, and then whereas Perez hung on for dear life to the to the knackered the knackered tires, uh, I think Danny came back in. Think can't guarantee it. Um, uh, yeah, and then Fred Nasa in sixth place with. That might be his best ever result in Formula One, possibly. Uh, no, because he his best was in the Australian Grand Prix at the start of the. What what did he come in that? Did, did he, he come, come like fifth or something? Did he come fifth in that, did he? I think something like that. He <laughs> he finished higher up than seventh. I'm sure he did. Right, um, okay, fair enough. And I mistakenly yeah. said that he got taken out by Hockenberg at the start, which obviously was untrue. It was Marcus Ericsson. Of course, yeah. Either way, it was a sauber, but yeah. Um, Pastor Maldonado scores again in eighth place. Good points, yeah. Good uh, points for the Sauber and the Lotus. Uh, yeah, I don't think the Lotus Given was... that the other two of their teammates both DNF'd. Uh, yeah. Good, good to get some points on the board. And I don't think that the track was particularly suited to the Lotus car either. I don't think I don't think that's where that car is at the moment. Somewhere flat and twisty. Um, so, yeah, a good result for him. A brilliant result for Jensen Button in ninth. Um, and what would have been a brilliant result for Fando- Fernando Alonso in tenth. Um, had he been able to have kept the car between the white lines um unfortunately well that's the other thing is is that he got another um 30 second penalty for just driving a little bit off the track seems a little bit you know when you compare mm, the two penalties side by side yeah. <laughs> feels a bit like oh okay then um i mean i suppose there's not enough hours in the day to go through the f1 sort of sporting regulations and, and, and fix them all but yeah when you do like when you put it like that it's clear as day which one is the more serious incident i think um uh, what did alonso was alonso's penalty the pit lane exit was uh it? no was it, just, was just it general track, track limits, limits track he, limits, he got yeah. warned fairly early on the race and then must have done it uh probably near the end of the race when he wasn't concentrating but uh, there you go uh valtteri bottas uh, so that uh, max was finished 11th but ends up 10th um Valtteri Bottas managed to qualify 12th, amazingly fit, ahead of both manners. Yeah, <laughs> tremendous, isn't it? <laughs> um, although, fair play to Roberto Meri, who might have driven his last Grand Prix for Manor. I'm not sure if this was his last or he's got one more. Um, finished a lap up on Will Stevens. Wow, wow. Stevens must have had uh, some um, sort of issue there, yeah. surely. Um, and amazingly, Daniel Daniel Ricciardo managed to place fifteenth despite being six laps down and not in his car at the time. Um, oh well, <laughs> <laughs> by quite a long way. So yeah, we lost uh, Carlos Sainz, Roman Grosjean, Nico Rosberg, Nico Hulkenberg, and Marcus Ericsson. Doesn't um, didn't Bundle say that he was going to be on a plane going back with Grosjean, yeah. Rosberg, Hulkenberg, and, yeah. and R- Ricciardo? Was, uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> he said he couldn't wait for the. <laughs> The plane journey. I mean, that must be going. Don't they all live in like Monaco? That must be going to. Yeah. Coming back to Monaco or something. But yeah, a good, good fun journey that would be. Rosberg's face was like thunder after his, 
after he got out of the car. Eh? I mean, what can you say? The championship's gone, but it wasn't really. He was never really going to get it, but I suppose here he he had to believe that he would still be able to do it. Well, you got to hope, haven't you? I guess. So if you've not got the belief, then you got nothing. So, like it is what it is. Lewis Hamilton's going to be a three-time world champion. Yeah, um, some rather um, this is fairly pitiful uh, uh, bits of um, press going around, especially the the Daily Mail s- sucking up to Lewis and saying, um, uh, "Was it layoff Lewis? He's a legend already, and uh, and that he was the best." Uh, if he wins the title, he will be the best British driver ever. And um, we're sat there mm. thinking, well, I'm pretty sure Jackie Stewart, you know, is really I mean, pound yeah. for pound the best British driver that there's ever been. And that's if you disc Clark, Jim Clark being a better Formula One driver, but just didn't get the, the titles. Um, it's kind of like, you know, don't, you know, don't be so desperate to suck up to the British Formula One, you know, a British Formula One current champion, um, and say that he's a legend just because he's doing very well at the moment. Is Lewis Hamilton like one of the top three drivers in anybody's list at the moment? Well, yeah, of course he is. Do you know what I mean? Has he, since his inception into Formula One, been one of probably the top five drivers pretty much every season? Yeah, he probably has. That doesn't make him a legend. There's been great drivers throughout all of recorded history, do you know what I mean, who mm-hmm. haven't won titles, and but they're still legendary, you know. Is he better than Sterling Moss, per se? Do you know what I mean? Let's not, let's not kid ourselves that winning, you know, three titles and two on the bounce necessarily makes him a legend. It's, you know, it's what you do in the sport and the reputation you create for yourself. And realistically, at the moment, I don't think Lewis is doing anything particularly legendary. That's not to say that, that's not to, you know, devalue his achievements which are very very impressive but it's a bit like Sebastian Vettel managed to win four championships and people were still not thinking he was a bit of a legend I put them probably in the same category to be honest it's maybe difficult because they're still in the sport when we look back you know five years after you know they've gone and and, and be able to give a more uh, I don't know clear answer as to well, it's always difficult to judge someone mid-career on whether they're a legend or not. But yeah, I mean, he's the, both of them, Vettel and uh, Hamilton, they're not, you know, they're not in the upper echelon bracket of with like uh, Prost, Senna, Schumacher for me, not yet, certainly not yet. You know, in the distant different areas of the sport, I think make a big, a big difference as well. I think you can't compare Jackie Stewart winning, you know his championships in the kind of racing conditions he was in to what the drivers do now where they know they can fling the car about and have big crashes and walk away you know they don't go out every week expecting somebody to not come back which is certainly you know not (laughs) the environment that the people we generally think of as uh, as legends in the sport uh, we're living in so I uh, just I think the whole thing needs a bit of perspective on it really that you know there's um there's time for talk of somebody being a legend you know much further further down the the line it doesn't require us to 
um, be the first person to call somebody a legend as if in some way that makes you some genius of motorsport knowledge um, you know let's let's take time to reflect and see who actually deserves that kind of praise. There, there is always going to be and Vettel's the same people you know where, who find it difficult to categorise them in that top bracket because of the nature of the world titles they, they've both won world championships in in cars that you know there was really such little competition so it's, it's it is tough you know if Lewis comes out next season if Ferrari build a, a monster package next season that can compete properly with the Mercedes and Lewis wins some cracking jewels and, and goes on to win a, a third world title in a row and a fourth overall world title next season then then that would that would elevate him perhaps into that top category but uh, I find it difficult to put him put him quite there yet and I know people will say oh but Schumacher had a similar you know dominant car but I don't know there was something Schumacher still had something well he, he certainly did it at times when the, he didn't have the best car on the grid yeah um, and the, and it, the sad thing for the sport is is that it's been it will be six years since the last time we might have thought that that was the case um, and even then you're going back to the Braun win where for half a season they clearly had the best car on the grid and slightly scraped their way to that title in the end they scored just enough points really to get Jensen the world title and um, although they, they got the constructors fairly early on um, do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a complete victory. You're really um, kind of having to go back to, um, and I guess, I guess the last time there was really equal machinery that you could say a person definitely didn't win because their car had something in it that was that much better than the others was probably the duels between Mika and Michael Schumacher, where the the McLaren and the Ferrari were equal machinery in different ways which mm-hmm. didn't give anybody a full season's worth of advantage you went track to track to see which car you, can, you, you could know. probably argue um lewis and lewis's title win against massa in a way and kimmy's title win against lewis and fernando in 2007 the mclarens versus the ferraris there were pretty neither had neither had a, a mercedes red bull-esque Advantage over the other one. Yeah, actually, I suppose yeah. I suppose Lewis's um, Lewis's win actually wasn't it? And no, Massa was winning races, and then Lewis was winning races, and they were going back and forward. Yeah. And the same for the year before, you know, Fernando and Lewis would win races, McLaren, Kimi Raikkonen won his races, and and the Ferrari. So those two seasons was pretty was pretty pound for pound. But um, yeah, I mean, since then, you know, like you say, you had the Braun and the Red Bull era, and then the Mercedes era. It's been. It's pretty grim, isn't it? When you actually yeah. say, think about it. But you know, I'm 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 just begging that next season the Ferrari Ferrari gets his act together and we have Ferrari versus Mercedes. Hopefully, one on on the time will tell on that. But if Lewis, if Ferrari does come up with a top car next season, then Lewis, you know, battles his way to to another championship next season. Then then fair play. I'll, then I'm I might put him in that category. Yeah. Um... Yes, I think that's that's probably fair enough. Uh, I think you just you can't have too many seasons. I mean, again, when we talk about Schumacher, and we say we had that that sort of three three year period really where the Ferrari was um, just so much better than anything else in the grid. But um, he, you know, there was definitely times where 
you could tell which you know where the drivers were making the difference here and there um, and it feels it feels a little bit more difficult to do that these days you know i don't doubt that um, when you compare how well lewis is doing and how well nico's doing you can tell that you know lewis has a little bit something extra maybe but it's not um it's not think, like he's having to prove that against a car that could beat that car. I think an interesting thing would be if you said right now that you took Nico Rosberg out of that car two or three seasons ago and put Lewis in it and put Fernando Alonso in it, would Lewis have two world title, those two world titles? I'm not sure if yeah. he would. Whereas if in 2001 you took Rubens Barrichello out of the car and put anybody else in the second Ferrari... I still think Schumacher would have won the world titles. Hmm. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, sh- to me, Schumacher was the best on the grid in the best car. Whereas, I, even though Lewis is dominating everything, I'm still not. I, I, still not. I don't necessarily think he's he's the most complete driver on the grid. I think that's still, even though he's had the worst season of his career, I'd still probably want to say Fernando Alonso. Yeah, it's it's difficult, really. I think we. Um... Maybe I'm just, you know, a bit biased, but, you know, I watch every single Formula One race that there is, and I, st- I would still, if I was putting together a fantasy F1 team, I'd still want Fernando Alonso in my car over anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, I, I think, I, I think I've, you know, I'm not so definite about that, but, um, like I say, you know, top three drivers on the grid, and it depends on oh. which, in which order you want to put them in. Do you know what I mean? Alonso, yeah, without, Vettel. Without, without a doubt, I agree with that. Yeah. They're, they're, those are the top three, without a doubt. So, that was the Russian Grand Prix. A fairly good one, as, as we've said. So, we should probably get in and take a look at the Formula One news. Final lap podcast news. And well, young Bernard Eccleston has had quite a lot to say. <laughs> oh, some of the stuff he's been doing this week. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, I think one of my favourite ones was the question was the uh, saying that F1 probably shouldn't be a democracy. It's made me laugh. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's probably right, all in all. But <laughs> did he not? Did he not also praise um, Vladimir Putin and um, somebody else? Was it Hitler? Did he praise Hitler? I'm sure I read something where he said something about Hitler. Anyway, Eccleston. <sighs> what to what to say? Yeah. Well, the first thing that he probably said that was of any interest was that he. Um, wants to force the teams to return to the old V8s. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Well, I, I don't understand. I don't really know how he's going to do it. It doesn't feel like Formula One's set up for him to just go blanket. Yeah, we, we're going to go back to the V8s. Um, I'm sure it's just... I'm sure it's just typical Bernie stirring the pot kind of stuff. Because he likes to say things like that all the time. He's saying, like his whole, whole thing about saying, um, we'll only have 20 races on the grid whilst really simultaneously releasing a 21 <laughs> race calendar and then going, 
No, we'll only have 20, 20 races. But you released this calendar, Bernie. Yes, I did. So why are there 21 races? There won't be 21 races. There'll be 20 races. But this calendar's got 21 races. And I know, but there will only be 20. And you're just like, well, for goodness sake. I mean, um, as mental as he is, and I, I, I would prefer not to be in charge, I, I wouldn't necessarily dislike the V8s coming back. <laughs> wouldn't necessarily be against that you know no but the problem is is i kind of feel that it's such a step back do you know what i mean it's such a step to say nothing about these engines is worthwhile and i don't necessarily think that's true um i just think the regulations about how you develop them are wrong i don't necessarily think that in and of themselves a v6 with turbo and electronic recovery or energy recovery sorry is a bad idea i don't think in and of themselves that's the case but you need to be able to give the 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 teams time to work with the engines and the manufacturers time to make them better um it was ridiculous that there were people suggesting that when these rules were made that somehow uh this kind of disparity was just not going to happen we're going to ensure that this doesn't happen it was just like well what what were you ever going to do do you know what i mean um i don't know it's just bizarre um uh, i don't uh, again i i don't know <laughs> I, I don't know how i feel um i don't care about noise and i don't actually care about numbers do you know what I mean? I don't care if the cars are a thousand bhp or not because it makes no difference to me. Because all it matters to me is that the the teams race one another on the track. It's the only thing I care about. Uh, I agree. Yeah. So, I, I'm 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 a bit frustrated in the terms of. I I think I, I want to see them. I just, I want to see not bulletproof reliability. Put it that way. Now, whatever I, I like, I like it when reliability isn't a hundred percent in the way it kind of has been for the last few seasons. You know, I know we've had Rosberg with a couple of DNFs and stuff, but I like it when there I like to see more mechanical failures. I think it just makes for interesting uh interesting racing if, you know, you never know when something could go wrong kind of thing. Now I don't know what engines would uh uh lean itself to that whether whether nothing would whether maybe the teams are going to be able to come to create bulletproof reliability no matter what we use maybe that's just the way it is in 2015 that the technology is so good that that they can do that but i want to see i want to see you know engines stretch to the limit so that they they can that they can't guarantee reliability i want to see performance every ounce of performance extracted to the point, to the point where reliability isn't necessarily as bulletproof as it has been. And the only way you can do that is is not make it a cost cutting exercise. That's not where you can save money, really. Um, more money for taking part in the in the sport seems the only sensible way to do it, really. Or, um, well, there isn't really. I, I don't. If you if you want to say that you make the cars go as fast as you can within the normal kind of regulations of, you know, not allowing jet engines on the back or anything ridiculous. 
Um, then you've got to give the teams time and money to develop it. Um, how you make sure that the little teams benefit from that is is potentially subsidising their engine costs, you know, one way or the other. I don't know, you know, um, how easy or simple or all sorts of things, but that's really the only way to do it. It, it, or encourage some kind of link up between smaller teams uh, and bigger teams who can part fund them for the engines. Do you know what I mean? Um, allow them to, in essence, be B teams. Why? Why not allow Manor to Manor to be a Ferrari B team and take their engines at a massive discount and, and all the other bits and pieces, but run themselves as another team? Um, right, or Salva, yeah, or you know, why not let Force India be a McLaren B team, or whatever you want to say, say about it, or or however it's going to be, but you won't we won't get back to that era where the cars felt like they were being built on the edge of performance um until that's the case at the moment we're left with a series where the cars are built on the edge of how unreliable they can make something um be before it becomes critical so that we can save weight and that's all it comes down to really that's the only reason why any of the parts break these days is because the knife edge they're built on is how reliable they are um, compared to their weight, not the performance that they give back to the to the car. I mean, I know that's always intrinsically something to do with Formula One, but it's not. Now it's the be all and end all. The reliability suffers because of performance, rather than the components get better because of the performance. <laughs> I've silenced you with that <laughs> yeah, tirade. Don't, don't really have anything else to say. Yeah, Fair I enough. mean. Uh, Toe Wolf says uh, he thinks Manor can step up into the midfield when they get the Mercedes engines next year. Uh, just on that basis alone, I hope they seriously don't. I hope they strap the Mercedes in the back of that car and it still comes plumb last every race. Well, because um, just because Toe Wolf well, says... Well, just because so. they've said that, oh, well, do you know what? You know what would make the Manor go faster if you put a Mercedes engine in it? What's in it now? Like, Ferrari? For uh, Last year's Ferrari as well. So, you know, they are truly terrible because they're running last you know last season's spec engine without any upgrades or anything at all um and with probably very little support from ferrari but you know at the end of the day i, I don't think you you can strap the back the mercedes in the back of that car and expect it to suddenly leap up into the midfield no, if it I, does i'll be really gutted because what it basically means it is that the engine it plays too big a part in the performance of a car mm-hmm. ironically after moaning the aerodynamics plays too much of a part in the car if it does that if it suddenly leaps up and in and immediately becomes as good as a lotus and a force india and potentially better than a mclaren um it won't there's no way the aero on that car is good enough it shouldn't do should it there should be no way you should be able to run a bucket for a season and then stick a better engine in it and it magically (laughs) yeah you're right there's no way now they can they'll, they'll still be a second off the pace with a mercedes engine I'll, I'll I'll be very surprised. Yes, not. me too. I hope I'm not. Um, <laughs> Renault have spent all of their remaining tokens. Um, so from this weekend, their updated engine will be available to uh, Red Bull, um, Toro Rosso, and the other team that's got a Renault. Is there another team that's got a Renault? <laughs> uh, I've not, I, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> Toro Rosso, Red Bull, and... No, is that it? Uh, 
I think that's it. Oh, that is it. Okay. <laughs> so the two Rebel teams basically will get a chance yeah. at running the possibly the last engine Renault ever built in Formula One. Because if well, that was the other thing I was actually thinking about this day. Well, they're going to buy Lotus, aren't they? Potentially, but it would have been quite quite amazing, really, that you potentially, <laughs> if they didn't couldn't buy Lotus or that fell through for whatever reason, they didn't buy another team. This could be last Renault's last season in Formula One. They'll have nobody who wants to buy their engines next year. Apart from maybe Honda, I don't know, maybe. How the mighty have fallen, eh? Well, four, world, four world championships. On one bad season. One, well, I suppose this season's not been great either, but it was really last last season's terrible, terrible engine, really, isn't it? And, and they're just playing catch up now. That's the problem with these uh, these engine regs. That's it, you know. They they you, like you go on about they struggled to develop them because they can't. It's not open open season when it comes to development. Yeah, well, the interesting thing, I guess is um oh, i had a point and it's just gone out of my head <laughs> what we're we talking about again sean renault's renault's what was i saying oh yes that was it <laughs> <laughs> back in the room andy back in the room um renault and mercedes pushed for these engine regulations and it's very interesting to see that one team did it right and one team failed Phew. that was me jumping out of a window or sneezing <coughs> um <laughs> Yeah, is that the thought of the runaway? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just got an allergic reaction. I just have to throw myself out of a window. Um, but that that is the point, though, isn't it? Is that Mercedes and Renault said they would both quit the sport if they didn't get the regulations changed back in you know in 2010 when they were they were on the table to be changed. They both said, you know, we don't want to be building V8s anymore because they do nothing for our road cars, who all need to be running you know V6s. I mean, you know, it's only Ferrari really that care about anything like a V8 or, or whatever for the supercars and McLaren, I guess as well, uh, potentially. But they're not building their own engines, so it doesn't make any difference to them. Um, but it's funny to see how easily it could have actually gone wrong for both of those teams. How interesting it would have been had Mercedes done all of this work. They'd actually put it in a car, ran it in a Formula One thing, and suddenly found oh. Actually, our, e our ERS doesn't work as well as we thought it did. Oh, this split turbo design we thought was genius is actually a load of bobbins. <laughs> um, and both of those teams were punished. It could have could have ended up where Renault are now, with with teams clamouring to run away from them, and you know, <laughs> well, I guess at that stage, join Ferrari, um, or possibly beg for a Honda, which would have probably been even more embarrassing uh, at that stage. Um, so it's just very strange. This whole engine thing is very strange. Um, Red Bull's strategy has been weird, but I can kind of understand that what they wanted to do was put Ferrari and Mercedes in a position where it was clear, um, you know, Renault wasn't an option. So they put them under pressure to supply them. Um, and Ferrari and Mercedes have just not played the game. You know, they said, nope you know not this season's engine and uh the other bits and pieces interestingly in the in the news as well was the fact that it was mooted that they were going to have um all engines must be this season's um this season's engine but oh they must be the a spec engine i guess was, was was the way it was put and that's been overturned but um 
they're now talking about relaxing the rules on the engine freezes so that you'll be able to do more design work on them. Which I think is kind of interesting in a way that it, it kind of means that potentially if Red Bull could eat enough humble pie, they could run somebody else's last year engine so they could run this year's Merc or this year's Ferrari if it came down to it. And I think that's where that's all come from. I don't think there's any way they will do that, though. Like, I don't think you... even I don't think Mercedes will even we will even give them this year's one. Ferrari might give them this year's one if they feel that they've got enough stuff coming in the pipeline to keep them ahead of uh, the. There's just, there's just no way that like the guys involved in the higher ups in Red Bull would accept anything sec like second hand. The the ego won't wouldn't allow for it. They'd rather they'd rather walk away and watch the sport burn. They would honestly. Well, they'd, ra- see, they'd, ra- they'd rather set themselves on fire than accept second best. See, I wondered that, but there's a bit of me that wonders how much of a PR um, nightmare is it to walk away from the sport in that manner? Um, you know, it's. Um, it. It's one thing to walk away a champion or it's one thing to walk away and say this whole business was too expensive um, whilst we were doing okay. It's another thing to say um, we weren't given a ball so we're going home. It's a bit pathetic. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think, honestly, I... I'm basically I'm I'm stunned that it, it's not sorted by now. I can't believe we're getting into nearly November and and there's no engine on the table for Red Bull next season. I'm, I'm I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it where a team a world championship team has gotten themselves into a situation where they literally don't have a supplier for a fundamental component on the car for the following season at this stage. I mean, because you talk about. Talk about teams developing the following season's car from from halfway through the season sometimes, you know, especially if it isn't going well, I will just start thinking about next year's car. So to not even know what engine you're going to be using for a team of Red Bull size, a team that's won multiple world championships at, at, at nearly November is... I mean, the car's got to be on the track in January. And they don't ha- they don't know what... En- they don't even have an engine supplier. I, I, I can't... I, I, at this point... I do not know whatsoever what's going to happen. I have absolutely no idea. No. I thought it would be sorted by now. I'm stunned. I'm just stunned we're still talking about it, honestly. I'm stunned we're still talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Although at least, at least it seems to have highlighted to a lot more people. People are openly talking about how the sport is now manufacturer-driven. And there is a too, too much power in the hands of the engine makers uh, and the works teams. Um, yep, I mean that's true. I mean back in the day, you just <laughs> if, you listen, you if you listen to if you listen, listen to David Croft, nothing's wrong in Formula One. Any time you turn on the television, for you know it's in in the greatest of health, the races are all brilliant. What has anybody got to complain about? But it's now you you see it in the press more and more. If people are just saying, well. This doesn't seem like a really, you know, a good place to be where the team, the engine manufacturers have so much power 
they can legitimately force another team out of the sport by not giving them an engine. Um, and all right, you know, free market, you can sell to who you want or not to who you want. But this isn't a free market really, although I've said that in other posts online, so I'm kind of slightly contradicting myself here. But it's a sport and you've got to sometimes do things for the best of the sport. And I think there are ways that you can... Uh, we've talked about them before. I'm not going to go into them again. Um, follow me online somewhere and I'll continually talk about it because I always do. Um, but you can change the rules to make it so that there's still an advantage of being a works team whilst opening up the engines to everybody. It, it's simple and it's doable and it wouldn't alter the sport radically in any way, shape or form. People just have to have the bottle to take it, you know, and run with the idea that you don't have to restrict rate, do restrictive regulations to even things up. What you've got to do is make the playing field available to everybody. Simple. Yeah, I agree. I just want to go backtrack back to Bernie just for a second. I think I said Eccleston was talking about Hitler. I didn't mean to say Hitler. I meant to say Blatter. <laughs> but obviously, obviously well, those two guys are pretty much the same, so I got confused. Yeah. It, was, it was Vladimir Putin and Sepp Blatter uh, Bernie came out in defence of, not Hitler. He's not, <laughs> for all Bernie's, for all Bernie's thoughts, he's not quite that. Jeez. He's not quite, he's not quite a he's Holocaust. He's not quite there yet, is he? Holocaust, no, yeah. But no, he was, uh, he's, uh, he, was, he was talking about his democracy comments, yeah, and he, and he was back in Sepp Blatter, which I just, I, I mean, they're basically the same person, Sepp Blatter and Bernie Eccleston, like, so I'd, we shouldn't really be surprised, but... Yeah, that was it. So sorry, sorry, Bernie. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, not sorry, Bernie. Um, so yeah, uh, and uh, but you know, don't we talk about Bernie? We'll try to talk about driver lineups, and shall we talk about Kevin Magnuson? Uh, <laughs> I was hoping you might mention that. Um, <laughs> well, in the quantum inevitability of retaining Button and Alonso somebody was missing out one way or t'other. It seems in the reports as if it was done in a fairly shoddily way. It sounds um, very poor, doesn't it? It's not good PR to say you dumped your driver on his birthday by email. Um, takes some magnificent idiot, you know, idiocy to do that, really. Um, it suddenly seems to have been a bit of a hallmark of McLaren PR, in the last couple of years, they've done, you know, they've bungled Jensen Button twice in re-signing, um, and in fact, they bungled it so badly the second time they, you know, they ended up paying him a full driver's salary because he managed to use the media to get them into a position where they pretty much couldn't <laughs> not offer him the drive really uh, at the money that he was um, he'd been promised. Um, Rumours are that he'll end up in the manor potentially, but uh, I don't think that's happening because I think that's going to be Esteban Gutierrez in the second seat in there. Uh, not the what's manor, it, what, sorry, the the, the hats. Uh, yeah, I was going to um, say if he's. Uh, yeah, sorry. If I was going to say if he's in the. No, sorry, I'm having laptop trouble. Some of the settings. Basically, I spilt water on my keyboard there. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Let's not frazzle the laptop. Hopefully, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Went to take a drink of water and just spilt it all down myself like a <laughs> c <laughs> Right. Oh <dear. laughs> okay. Right. Magnuson. Yeah, I uh, yeah, you, you 
he, like you say, he could end up in the Haas, but I've heard the same reports as you about Esteban Gutierrez. So I just worry. There is a spot open in Lotus, of course. Well, yeah, of course. Or, or Renault, you know, depending <laughs> on indeed on what they become. So that, that's really about it, isn't it? Is there any other spaces on the grid? I mean, he could take somewhere in Manor, potentially, because they've um, they've not confirmed anybody for next season, I don't think. Or maybe they have, and I haven't been paying attention. Anyway, I think there might still be a potential of a seat there, but I don't know how. I don't know if Magnussen brings a lot of sponsorship or not compared to no, other drivers I would think... or not. I mean, he's better than the guys that they've got in uh, at Manor, clearly. But money talks, of course. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I'd... the only <laughs> upside to this whole story is that Stoffel Van Dorn is still under contract, and that excites mm-hmm. me a little bit more than Kevin does. And mm-hmm. I try and say that with as much respect as possible because I like Kevin Magnussen. I liked him as a driver. I liked. I thought he did very well in a first year in a difficult year for McLaren, having come in to shunt out Perez, who was a good driver, um, and get some, you know, get some fairly reasonable results in a fairly dire McLaren, uh, although <laughs> nowhere near as bad as this year's. Um, I mean, I agree, uh, but I equally agree with. The fact that Stefan Van Dorm is slightly more exciting. I'd I'd love to see I'd really like to see Kevin Magnussen in the Lotus. You know, a, a mid table team, but with a mid table team that has potential to certainly score points and maybe even a podium if everything falls into place uh, on the, on any given weekend. I think that would be the sort of perfect fit for him, having been edged out of the McLaren. And if he can step into the Lotus and and bang in. Or, 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 or Renault, whatever it becomes, and bang in lots of points, finishes, consistently beat his teammate, wouldn't be hard, it's passing Maldonado, <laughs> you know, and show what he can do on a regular basis, having been in the car and out the car, then why couldn't he then step back up into a top team further down the line? Uh, it, it, it just seems like the right fit for him. The problem is the complete uncertainty surrounding the future of the Lotus team. So... You know, on paper, good move for him, but, you know, it's shrouded in doubt. So, I don't know. The more I think about it, I think we're probably not going to see him on the grid next year, and that'll be a total shame. Yeah. Um, I think he will be the biggest loss to the grid that we've had for a little while. Maybe, I agree. Maybe, maybe more so than Paul DeResta, even. I don't know. I felt very sorry for Paul DeResta. I thought he got a real shafting. He uh, should have had a drive. Yeah. But um, I think Magnussen even more so in a way that he's stuck with the team for so long. And, the, you know, I, I don't... Um, I understand why McLaren have done it. They didn't really have any choice. He said he was going to get a drive next season or it wasn't, or, you know, he wasn't going to be a reserve driver. So what do they do hang on to his contract and then don't let him go well you know that's really incredibly unfair um and Stoffel van Dorn needs a drive anyway so at that point it's kind of like well we might as well let him go and hope he goes on to do something and you know you never know in a couple of years down the line you know maybe we'll be able to to tempt him back into the fold hell if you can get fernando alonso to come back into mclaren i'm sure kevin magnuson will come back well, that's it right you know give it two years alonso and button are probably both going to be gone so you could have van dorm and that's what i mean like if magnuson goes to a lotus and and does does really well for two seasons 
and then Fernando and Button leave, and you've got Van Dorm in the side, and then you go, well, put Magnussen in the other car. So, but, but fundamental to that plan is Magnussen needs to drive, you know? Uh, and at the moment, I'm struggling to see where he's going to get one. Yeah. I'd like, I would quite happily see him in the Haas as well. Esteban Gutierrez doesn't bring fill me with any kind of enthusiasm. <laughs> no. But I assume he brings money and, you know. But well, he goes, brings so. the Ferrari, doesn't he? That's the. Well, then he's in Ferrari's driver academy, yeah. isn't he? So. so I think that's. Um... That's possibly he it. Doesn't excite me in any way, though. I mean, he seems like a really nice guy, um, but yeah, uh, he doesn't. He didn't do anything that set the world alight, really, when he was um, in the Sauber, particularly. So, um, yeah, um, that's that's it for me on that one. I I can't say anything. There is no nothing to say. It is what it is. It's just ended up that way. It's a shame for Kevin. Hopefully, he gets a drive. Yep. <laughs> Basically, I. <laughs> I can't go anywhere else with that, I'm afraid. Um, anything else you spotted in the news as you've been trolling about the interwebs? Uh, no, I liked what Manisha Kaltenborn said about Red Bull. Did you read that? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Accept what you're getting, basically. <laughs> Live with, deal with it. <laughs> uh, said from the woman who's suing the sport because it's unfair, apparently. There you go. <laughs> so kind of like, isn't it? We're taking you to the European Court Tribunal because we don't think it's fair that other teams get more money. But Red Bull, how dare you say it's unfair that you don't have a winning engine? Put up and shut up. Also, it's pretty funny that she said that they've been getting away with everything for too long, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Again, says the woman who signed four drivers for two seats and got away with it. Let's just please shut up, Manisha. The, just find it's, it pretty amusing. It's funny because two seasons ago, I was really pleased to see a strong female um, team principal on the grid, you know, doing it. And everything they've done since the start of this season has pretty much turned me against them. I now don't care about Sauber. I don't care if they do well. I don't hope that they do well. I like the I like Felipe Neza, and that's that's pretty much the sum total of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah. Manisha Kaltenborn's an idiot. <laughs> so there you go. She's probably much cleverer than I am, to be fair. She's a lawyer, but at the end of the day, she seems to make really stupid mistakes. So you know, whatever, however good a lawyer she is, she doesn't seem to be necessarily making all the the best best decisions as a team principal. Not, I agree. Uh, I like, at least we've got Claire Williams doing it for the yes, doing it for the women. I like Claire Williams a lot, but. Yeah, I very much agree with you on Manisha. Uh, well, if that's the uh, sum total of the stories that we've kind of gotten off, I guess guess we can end the podcast at a fairly reasonable time this time. Right? Yeah. Well, we've got us, uh, Austin, Texas this week. My favourite thing about this is it's going to be on at tea time, which I love. Or it'll be not quite tea time, but, you know, certainly not. Yeah, it'll be a bit later in the evening. Yeah, uh, good for a change. So... Yeah, it's nice to sit down with your dinner and watch Formula One. I quite like that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a good track. Uh, I've always quite liked the layout there. Uh, of the sort of it's, it's a tilt track, isn't it? So, it is, but it's one of the it's one of the better ones. Yeah, it's one of the few ones he he put reasonably good. He put decent elevation and uh, and real changes into it. But it, you know, he said it himself. He, he copied half of the corners from other tracks. Yeah, but that's why it's quite good. He's just <laughs> it's just nitpicked from other. From other from other circuits, uh, so yeah, like that. <laughs> it's good. 
yeah, you can't complain, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I must admit, I'm looking forward to it, and it is kind of nice to watch a, a Grand Prix around tea time as a bit of a change as well. I mean, it's uh, scheduled to go off, uh, does it say? It says 7 o'clock here, uh, which is even later than I thought it would be, but I suppose it's Austin. Six hours so difference, isn't it? So That would be right, yeah. They'll be about Central European time, so we're about six or seven hours behind. Plus, there's yeah. there's daylight savings times to take into account. God knows what that does to all the different places. <laughs> so, of course, it's right plum in the middle of changing the clocks, isn't it? Yeah. So, God, I'll need to make sure. <laughs> could I don't be six. Flick could it, be seven. <laughs> flick it over to the F1 channel, and it's halfway through the race. And <laughs> need to keep an eye on that. But yeah, it should be a good one. Looking forward to it. Fully expect Lewis Hamilton to be crowned world champion. Yes. Uh, probably win the race. To be honest, if all things being equal. Uh, Hopefully a nice showing from the Ferraris, but you know we'll see. Possibly second uh, will be about the best we can hope for. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, uh, you can find us on iTunes or on TuneIn. Uh, catch us on the web at www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Catch us on Facebook. Uh, just search for the Last Lap Podcast. Uh, catch us on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast. Uh, and you can catch Sean and I on Twitter at our various Twitter handles, which include but are not limited to at man called Megs and at Firebolt Willow. Uh, and if you happen to be an insane championship wrestling fan, you can also find a specific channel run by myself at Asda <laughs> underscore Butcher. Watch at your pl- if you if you nice, if you know nice nothing plug. about <laughs> about independent UK wrestlers, I'd probably give it a miss. It's it's a, a highly highly inside joke uh, <laughs> but quite funny at the same time very funny so again <laughs> thanks very much for tuning in guys uh, we will see you after the Grand Prix in Austin have a good time and we'll see you then bye bye cheers mate.